your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast so enticing that cats are plotting to shut it down Brought to you by Come and Gone Tired of rushing to the bathroom after sex? Is your partner's ejaculate the consistency of cake batter? Ever slipped on some semen and broken the hip? Well, no more. Use Come and Gone, your post-intercourse pre-cuddle solution. <laughs> I don't even know where to start here. I think we need. I think the place to start is to um, give full credit to. Um, <laughs> The person who came up with that, um, which I'm just finding on Twitter, is someone called Sir Shanine, otherwise known as at Braintree underscore. I'm assuming that they came up with it originally. Certainly they put it on Facebook. Uh, sorry, on Twitter. Twitter. Honestly, if you haven't seen that full thing, if you found Michael funny there, um, <laughs> go and search it out. It's hilarious. I, I will be going to search it out after this. It, it might be the tweet of 2021 in January. <laughs> Wow, already, okay. Big um, claims. You are here for Stick Around. Um, you're going to be you're going to be really shocked here because we're going to be giving you our best of 2020 lists in January or potentially February, depending on when Clive edits this. Um, we're going to be doing top five uh, music albums. I'm here with music expert Michael Johnson. Hello. Uh, music expert Clive Fisher. Ahoy. And music layman, me, Alex Wayne. Um, how are we all? All right, yeah, good. It's uh, it makes it makes sense as usual to do a best of twenty twenty now because the same thing happened that happens every other year. All these sites and publications brought their list out, and then artists brought albums out the next week. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll never quite understand it. Although I guess it's, I guess it makes sense in for some sort of advertising reasons or something like that yeah it's weird isn't it like i feel i mean i think we have this debate every year and it annoys me every year because I, th- I feel like it gets earlier and earlier every year and yeah that's where some came out at the end of november this time and i was like what yeah like if someone released something in december and even if they like released something on like uh the billy woods oh i've forgotten who we collaborated with now mother someone oh yeah um, Moon, came out the december yeah. 16th or whatever um mm-hmm. it's got yeah, no well, chance well played by carty released his new album which is a high profile release on christmas day you know a surprise release although it wasn't really that surprising people were expecting it but and i mean it's still it's still 2020 right so it just doesn't make sense and i feel like if a pub let's say i think it would have to be a big publication let's say pitchfork just went fuck it we're not doing it till january people yeah. just read it in january and they'd get the same amount of Exactly. Yeah. Possibly more because Which they'd is, be like the only list doing it in January, and it'd be a bit more like, oh well, Pitchfork's waiting for January, so their list's more better. <laughs> Plus, January is a very slow month musically, usually, so yeah, it would yeah. make more sense to fill more, it with that. More to read about, um, Michael. I'm going to ask you, without giving anything away, are there any surprises in your top five? Anything that keen-eared listeners uh, wouldn't have expected? I thought you were going to say there, Al, that if, if Keen had made it in, because that would have been a surprise. <laughs> That would have been a I massive mean, surprise. That would have been the shock of the century. Don't know if those guys are still together. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Five. <laughs> um, are there going to be any surprises in your top five? 
I mean, it depends whether you've read my top 37 on <laughs> stickeroundpocket.com or not. If you have, so, then there will be very it, little surprise. However, is it going to be exactly the same top five? Um, I will not reveal that, but <laughs> let's just say there won't be many surprises. Um, right. I don't but think... I think if you haven't read that, then probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Only Which... probably. <laughs> I uh, I think the biggest surprise with mine is that there's no metal or hip hop in the top five, and I don't think that's ever happened before. So, wow, that is. Was it a bad year for metal and hip hop? Um, I mean, I'm never as deep into the metal as uh, I could be, or some people are. Um, and there was some uh, there was some top metal releases uh, this year. I can think of two or three in particular. Um, just didn't make my top five. Um, and hip hop is becoming a very unusual genre. It's very, it's almost two, two or three genres. Um, and I think that is, that's making it harder for, um, massive releases in terms of profile and ambition, uh, to make a dent at the top for me. Uh, but I think it's generally reflective of changing listening habits by me and not, nothing much more. Michael, that was, as usual, an eloquent answer, but I'm going to have to go Paxman on you. I wanted a yes or a no. Metal, was it a bad year? No. <laughs> Hip-hop, was it a bad year? No. There Sorry, we go. Jared. That's all I wanted, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> with that, um, let's get this party started. Um we're gonna. The format we're gonna do here is we will just do fives, fours, unsurprisingly followed by threes, twos, and ones. Um, mm. I will jump in. Um, I've only got a top three. Um, I will jump in if mine get mentioned, and if one of mine doesn't get mentioned, I will mention it at the end as a bit of an epilogue, if you like. Um, let's get this started with number five, and I'm gonna want that from Clive Fisher. Oh hi hi. Good stuff. Um, before I start, I'll just say it's been a great year. You, I'm going to plug that list again. You can read my top 37 on stickeroundpodcast.com. If was that, uh, is that because you've heard 37? Or was, um, was that the number? No, it's because I've liked 37. There, okay. There's others I've heard, so I feel like I tend to only listen to stuff. I don't know. I rarely write about something if I didn't like it. I'll give it a rating, but I just wouldn't be asked to like... Well, I've had mm. thoughts in my head. I just don't find any pleasure in like writing negatively about something. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I just haven't added that to the list, I guess. So there, there are others that I didn't massively like. Um, but yeah, it's it's the 37 I've listened to the most for definite because I like them. <laughs> yeah, I'd still like to try and do a top 50. And as as I was trying to do that during the year, I was thinking, well, I'm never going to... Well, I'm going to get to 50, but there's probably going to be some albums in there that I liked at the end. But, you know, they didn't blow me away or anything. But then as as it's gone on, it's, it's turned out they've been edged out by others. So if I did it, there'd be 50 great albums, but... It just depends. Yeah. I've had more free time this year, believe it or not. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a good year overall, I think. Well, except for hip-hop and metal, which absolute wank. Just garbage coming out of those garbage. areas. Absolute garbage. <laughs> just hot garbage. Jesus Christ. Like Just noise. Guys, come on. I'd love it if yours were just hip-hop and metal. Albums, <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are some on the 37. There's none on the uh, 5. Unfortunately, well, um, actually, you know there's some very you, close though. I'm going to tell you what my favourite um, hip hop and metal albums of the year were. Uh, do you want me to do it now, or shall I wait? Let's. Well, should ha- we do that as an epilogue? Yeah. yeah. So as a part of the epilogue, yeah. 
Yeah, because I've probably, it might be similar to my ones, which would be interesting. But anyway, let's get on with it. So the way I'm going to do this is um, I'm going to read my review from the website, then add in some extra thoughts, because on Stick Around Podcast, we like to give you extra, um, not just the, 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 you know, the the surface stuff on the website. So my number five oh, is... Before, before you do that, was oh. anybody else very tempted to chant the Halifax advertising theme there? Who gives you extra? We do. We do. <laughs> I knew there was somewhere I'd got that from, and that's exactly where I've got it from, I think. But I couldn't remember what the exact thing was. I reckon we could get Howard on to do that as a guest. I doubt he's doing much else. I, th- I think yeah. I think if you agree to pay for his drinks for a night, you've got him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe next year. Pencil Sorry. lighting. Sorry, Clive. Go on to your number five. <laughs> my, my number five is Phoebe Bridges's Punisher. Um, I'm our review on the album. Phoebe Bridges' second album is a journey of melancholy, delicate and reverb-drenched beauty, occasionally exploding to anger from its general sadness. It's a triumph of affecting and unforgettable songwriting, a musical version of that introspective night you spent alone in the corner of your room on the verge of tears before waking up the following day with a paralysing numbness to the world. And my favourite songs... I've actually just basically listed the whole album here, I think, so probably not much point, but (laughs) Garden Song, Kyoto, Halloween, Chinese Satellite, Moon Song, Graceland 2. Um, additional thoughts here. Production, I think, it needs a mention. It's re- like really, really clear. Um, there's a, like a real clarity, real kind of modern sound to everything, and which I th- found was particularly impressive because of the fact everything is, as I've mentioned in the uh, review above, was <laughs> pretty re- like drenched in reverb, which can often make things muddy. Not in a bad way. Um, love a bit of reverb, but um, that doesn't happen here. It's very everything has a real kind of clarity to it. So that's probably one of the most striking things about it the other thing i think worth mentioning is how slow um some of the melodies are that um bridges uses and it feels a bit like instead of you know instead of boiling you to death she's slowly kind of marinating you in these uh, in these melodies and they kind of hit home more quickly in that way it's almost as if instead of having to listen to the song three times it hits you immediately on the first time because the melody is kind of so slow and drawn out and i mean that completely in a good way um and finally, I just think it was the album that most nailed the cover representing what it sounds like, which is something I think is underrated and I think helps to make an album feel like a whole package in a weird way. Um, I just think that kind of like her standing in that desolate sort of red landscape looking at the sky just really, to me, represents its clean kind of sparse but pretty and pretty and sad sound, I guess. So yeah, that's why I put Phoebe Bridges at number five. I know Michael talked about this. On a previous pod, yeah, I might uh, might comment on that later. <laughs> like it. Um, I have listened to that album, but it didn't make my top three. Um, but I enjoyed it. Well, there you go. Um, any? Yeah, no, you can't give your thoughts on that yet, Michael. Okay, no, we can have I'll our discussion when it comes I'll up. Some thoughts on it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go across then. Let's get your number five, Michael. What's it going to be? Yeah, so I think what what's been unusual again this year about my top five is it's been settled for quite a long time. Usually, something uh, flies in there at the end and upends the whole thing, but these have these have stood pretty much throughout the year. Um, so at five, I've got an album. I also, um, I think I've talked about all of these albums except for maybe one on the podcast before. Definitely talked about this one extensively because it was my most anticipated release of the year. It's uh, Notes on a Conditional Form by the 1975. 
Um, long-term listeners to the pod will know that I'm a massive fan. I started going so far as to call the 1975 my favourite band, which I certainly would continue to do. Um, so this album, especially the prospect of 22 tracks, was uh, was very highly anticipated by me. And um, I love it for the most part. I think it's a I think it's a triumph. It was very divisive, and uh, I think that's been reflected in year-end lists. It's not made all of them by any means, and the ones it has made, it's tended to be uh, a sort of middling position. And I think that has a lot to do with the, the length of the album. And I do think you could cut a few tracks, possibly. Um, I'm sure some people won't agree with that, some other big 1975 fans. Uh, but... It's um, it's still it's not a double album, you know, which are always always struggle to justify their existence. Usually, you know, it's still the length of a of a CD uh, packs out that capacity. Uh, but the the thing is, this album is basically an odyssey, and uh, I think, uh, well, I was going to say intentionally or not, but I think it's very much intentional. It it largely explores the relationship between uh, between pop and rock music and underground electronic music. And some of the interludes on the album um, speak very heavily to that. But that said, throughout it, the uh, I mean, you find the band... Some people say they cosplay different genres, but I think that's not quite accurate. Because to me, whenever you hear the 1975 do one of these songs, it feels like they could do an entire album in that style. Uh, and that's what I think. They, they, sort of pl- they plug into other genres without any sort of loss of fidelity. And I think it's really quite spectacular. Um, I mean, this I love. There's so much I could list about this album. I think I went through it pretty much track by track uh, when I spoke about it on the podcast before. Uh, I love the opening curveball. All their previous albums opened with the same self-titled track, uh, that eponymous track. You, you expect this to, and instead it comes in with the gorgeous, gorgeous twinkling piano sound. Um, and then the first the first thing you hear is uh, is Swedish. Before um, some a little snippet of Swedish before Greater Thunberg begins uh, speaking extremely evocatively, uh, and it's quite an, it's a very unusual and surprising way to open up an album, and then straight into People, which is uh, definitely one of the most startling tracks uh, that the band have written up to now. Um, the album, of course, contains uh, "If You're Too Shy," "Let Me Know," which I can't imagine many tracks. Uh, in my life coming through with a bigger mythology than this one did in the build-up to first hearing it in studio form for the first time. Uh, Got to mention John Waugh, whose uh, saxophone playing throughout the album is... Uh, it really it really makes him essentially a sort of fifth member of the band, I think, even more so than before. Um, and I think there's a lot of post-Kanye energy on this album. Um, I think any band, any pop-rock band... Um, is heavily influenced by Kanye West's work, and I think there's there's a lot of exploration of um, of the way. I, I mean, what I don't think any certainly not not as high profile a band has ever asked the question, um, even in the Poptimism era, of you know what can it mean for a band that sells out arenas to incorporate so much garage music. Uh, into the into their sound at the same time as you know an increasing amount of emo influence, uh, and that's what makes it such such a surprising album in so many ways in terms of form and scale. I think, and uh, some of the tracks, um, like I think there's something you should know are Frail State of Mind, which have that that sort of future garage sound, 
that somehow works. I think that really speaks to um, the band's expertise in what they do and the way that they write music. And um, yeah, there's a there's a definite sense of finality to this album. I think it really packs out everything that the band had left to say in this era of their work, which they've they've been very clearly defined in terms of of dividing their work their their the periods of, that they've been working up into eras thus far. And uh, while they're certainly not going away as a, as a going concern, you know they've they've already expressed. Matty Healy's already expressed the fact that he sees the band in a much different light uh, in light of the pandemic. And you know he's not sure that the band will ever be able to tour in the way they used to. And I think you know this 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 album very much closes a chapter, and you can see it from statements like that. And I think all of these these four albums that they've released so far are ripe for reassessment in the future. They've not been that well received by music fans, even though critics have grown in their respect uh, for the band, despite being divided a bit by this album. And uh, I think this will th- this is the closing album of a set of albums that will come to be looked back on much more fav- favorably and more widely favorably than they are currently. Uh, and in that sense, this is uh, you know this this is the cl- this is the closing point to to that period. So it stands very highly for me as an album in that sense as well. And, you know, there's there's a lot of twists and turns on it. Um, I've mentioned some of the genres, but you also hear them take a stab at country, really, for the first time with the track Roadkill. And uh, there's, various, there's various sort of um, sacrilegious moments of combining, you know, rock with auto-tune. That's what I mean by a sort of post-Kanye energy um, that are very much typical of the... Uh, of the Poptimism era, and I think the band have been at the very forefront of that. I really do think they are the world's best band right now. Wow. Okay. Um, well, this is the first of uh, the albums that I have in my top three. I can't oh. add, I can't really add anything to uh, what Michael said there. It was my number three. Um, it was. It's probably um, the album I listened to the most this year because uh, it kind of hit right in the middle of the, the first pandemic, or at least it did for me. I, am I right there, Michael? Yes, it was May. So it was yeah. right in right in the depths of the, the first lockdown, yeah. Oh, I said pandemic there, didn't I? I meant lockdown, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, um, I remember, you know, I, I was furloughed from work. I had very little to do. So quite often I would go on quite long walks, uh, albeit within the rules. And um, I, I had this album on pretty much continuously, so it will... Uh, although it wasn't a favourite part of my life, it, you know, it'll be forever associated with the first lockdown for me. Um, um, my favourite track on the entire album is The Birthday Party, which I think is is one that lyrically is um, the 1975, but their strongest, in my opinion, anyway. Um, obviously, I'm a huge fan of If You're Too Shy, which is just... There's no other word for it. It's a banger. It's um, It's a real kind of... Um, 80s just banger. Um, I'm I'm still surprised it didn't chart higher than it did personally. But um, yeah, it's I, the band's uh, it's their highest charting song, but only at 14, which was quite surprising. It's yeah. definitely worthy of being a top 10. It felt like a number one, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. To me, if you'd if that had been released, maybe even t- 10 years earlier, I think that might have been a at least a top five hit. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Well, I think I think the bands. It's it's clear from that statistic that they're not 
they've had they, they write brilliant songs. They've had some amazing singles, but they're clearly not interpreted by the public as a singles band. Um, you know, they're an albums band, which I think speaks to a certain strength as well. And it's also it also indicates how dedicated a fan base they have. I think um, that there's there's more focus on the albums as a whole than there is on the songs. Just the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, not really much to say on this one, but my uh, my other favorite track from the album, uh, Jesus Christ, two thousand and five, God Bless America, which I think I'd heard quite in advance of the album. I believe that was one of the first tracks they released out there. Um, I personally, and I know this album divided critics. Um, in particular, one independent critic who was ridiculous, um, but I loved it anyway. Good. I think worth mentioning there that that track, of course, features Phoebe Bridges, who is going to be it featuring does, yeah. a lot on this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, the only other thing I wanted to say was the birthday party is an incredible song, and it might be the best thing uh, Matty Healy's ever written lyrically. And there's a oh, few so contenders you, for that. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you've had the same thoughts as me on that one then. Because I, yeah. I thought, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's an album of um, much quality, but I thought that stood out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's, it's not it's not as exciting as um, if you're too shy, but I think it's a better song. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful song, and the lyrics are extremely stream of consciousness, very unusual compared to some of the stuff he writes. Um, and they're that sort of they're written in a voice of a generation style for sure, which I'm sure he did knowingly. Um, but yeah, they're uh, they're very entertaining. A lot of the lyrics on this album are very entertaining. I mentioned Roadkill. That has uh, I love the lyrics to that. They're hilarious. But yeah, um, there's a lot of that. Well, it's a mixture of that and uh, real, you know, really profound stuff, which is exactly what Healy's known for. Some people would say overwrought, but no, not for me. I was talking to somebody at work. Um, well, I was going to say the other day, but it was probably about a month ago. But um, and we have the radio on at work, and 1975 came on. It was If You're Too Shy. And um, they discussed that they were more of a fan of the band before. Um, and we didn't really get into it, but my suspicion is that um, they've turned off some fans with um, their more political nature nowadays, which is a shame, if you ask me. But um, I, I would put them on the right side of history, even if Hebe can be uh, somewhat self-obsessed sometimes. Um, is that something you've noticed? I mean, I, I, didn't you say at the gig you went to that um, fans booed the Gre- Greta Thunberg part? Not quite, but yeah, um, it was interesting actually um, because, well, a lot of pe- a lot of fans um, raised a peace sign during that, uh, which a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot did when I was there. But uh, what just I was stood a little bit further back, and there was there was no booing, but there was a lot of cynicism about that. Right, uh, okay. and I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why you would be. I know some people are more casual, obviously, in their fandom of bands or whatever, but I don't understand how you would enjoy this, this band, and not be on that side. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I do get that people sometimes don't like pop stars dabbling in politics or whatever, but I also don't get it. I don't really see what the problem is. You know? So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it happens across. <laughs> All art forms, doesn't it? I think video games are particularly bad for this. Um, if someone gets political, they're like, you know, I'm using it as escapism, blah, blah, blah. I don't put it into my... And I absolutely hate that opinion. But yeah. it, it's, yeah. I think it's rife, in, particularly in video games. And it's oh. spreading into other areas a little bit, which is unfortunate. Well, let's be honest. Video game fans largely are the absolute worst. Um, I mean, in, as an audience, I think they've got... Within them, at least, some of the very worst people who consume modern art. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm being overstated there, but that's that's my opinion. No, I think you could uh, you could absolutely be right. There's certainly um yeah, it's easier to find the <laughs> the bad bits of the video game audience than it is in other areas, I think. Whether that's because they seem to get more uh there seems to be more of them that are higher profile, I don't know. But definitely an area where there's a lot of hate for a lot of things that just makes it a bit, I don't know, toxic is the word I'd use for the environment, which is why I stopped paying attention to much of it. Um, but yeah, um, this is actually one, Michael, that I forgot to include on my 37, even though I did like it and absolutely would be on there. Um, <laughs> right. So I will, I, when I wrote it, I knew it was going to be like a thing that, you know, I'll update it now and again. Mm. and write which ones I've added in so this will be one of the ones that gets added when I think of a little write up for it um, yeah I can't really add anything else because you two have covered it very thoroughly but um, yeah loved it great lyrics it's really varied um, the length didn't bother me it meant probably that I listened to it less as a whole than I would have done if it was shorter which is obvious but doesn't mean I but it also means that I probably enjoyed those long listens a bit more because it was they felt like more of an event and like Al I also uh, went on a few walks with it on and stuff and that's it does probably it's probably less synonymous with the first lockdown for me i don't think i listened to it as much as al did at that time probably more later on but certainly feels very 2020 <laughs> for me and i totally agree with your take on you know they can just do loads of genres but it's always got that 1975 feel to it it doesn't feel like they're just covering something else that's it um, yeah and i, I think really that's think what that's it's all true. about it's like channeling your style through another style i don't know i find that really interesting i think they do it really well yeah i definitely think that describes it yeah just uh, a, one other thing i want to mention uh just because we we've touched on it a little bit is that a lot of al well some weren't and some were but a lot of albums you'll see as I, as i progress through this list some albums were directly um related to the pandemic some were certainly enhanced by it and took on a new resonance this one really didn't because as i mentioned it sort of it was sort of fired out of the old world before COVID hit, um, right into the the new world. Uh, so it was it had a different dynamic to some of these other albums in that sense. And obviously, loads of albums that came out this year will have been recorded and created uh, mm. beforehand. Uh, but I think this really you could really feel that with this one. Um, so yeah. And the only other thing I want to say because I've just remembered it is I know we talk about Pitchfork a lot, but there was a re- a rumor going around on the internet at one point this year which really amused me. That um, I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is because it just I just find the idea of it quite amusing. That there's a civil war at Pitchfork apparently between staff who love and staff who hate the 1975. Um, <laughs> but uh, it seems like the um, well, I don't know how much compromise was involved, but it scored the album scored an eight exactly. Uh, so it seems like the lovers won this particular battle. But mm. <laughs> mm. Clive, I love that rumor. Clive, I know it didn't make your original um, 37, um, and I know you haven't had time to think about this, but I want you to pluck a number out of the air between 1 to 37. <laughs> Where's it going to go? Uh, well, I've, got my, I've got my list up here. I'm 1 to 38, surely. Oh, good point, yeah. Good point. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. Um, it would be somewhere between, I'm just looking at my list here, I don't know, somewhere around 20, I reckon. I'd have to okay. think about it. But Interesting. Between 10 and 20, probably more towards the 20 end. Which is probably, and like I said, that's probably reflective of where the lists that have had it on have had it, usually. So, yeah. And I do speak for the nation. Well, the <laughs> He's a man of the people, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean, like, I lo- pretty much most of the 37 I loved, not just liked. Um, yeah. 
it probably about somewhere around 30 is about the cutoff where it becomes from like to love uh so yeah it's certainly not a bad thing um and it was really hard to list them and obviously it's just the end of the day, it just comes down to opinion i could imagine anyone putting any of those 30 as their favorite album of the year to be honest yeah, that's um, no, one of those things, isn't it? I mean, um, spoiler alert, but um, St. Cloud by Waxahachie was definitely one of the most acclaimed albums of the year. Publications have had it top five, top two. It's been nominated for Grammys, which was quite surprising. Um, and I like it as well, but I'd probably put it somewhere around 30 for me. I wasn't feeling it to the same extent, so it's always a matter of opinion, isn't it? Yeah, it was um, around 30 for me as well, I think, Michael. 29! Wow, we think. Oh, there you go. I, I really I loved it. I just thought the second half wasn't didn't live up to the, fir- live up to the first half, oh, really? in my opinion. I think I was the opposite way around. But it wasn't, yeah. it, for me, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't exciting me in the way a lot of albums were. Um, I know it's not really that, obviously it's not really designed to excite in the same way. It's very different to most of the other albums I would have had on my list. Um, and I think it's very, it's very solid. Um, it's it's highly listenable. Uh, some very em- emotional moments on it, uh, and some some rockier moments, which are fun as well. But um, I just haven't gone back to it much. Maybe that could change. But um, yeah, I wasn't feeling it to the same extent, uh, and yeah. I don't know if that's just because some listeners will have been on a journey with her throughout a career or whatever that I haven't been on. You know, there's so many factors. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Excellent. Well. Let's move on to the number fours. Um, and let's go back to Clive. Yeah, let's keep it in order. <laughs> uh, Clive, what is your number four? My number four is an album that uh, Michael's also talked about extensively on the pod um, many months ago. It's Rina Sawayama's Sawayama in capital letters. Love um, it. Which is a fabulous album. Here's my write-up on the website, and then I'll... Uh, do some waffle. Um, the Japanese-British songwriter's debut sounds like the result of someone throwing new metal, 2000s and 90s pop and a whole host of other genres into a raging cyclone. It opens with quite probably the year's most cataclysmic pop track, Dynasty, which is followed not long after by the best new metal track I've heard for ages, STFU, with a riff that sounds like a mountain coming to life. Endlessly creative and completely unpredictable, Sawayama is surely the birth of our next pop star. Um... I've already I've already mentioned the you know, my favourite songs for Dynasty, STFU, Paradising, and Bad Friend. Although they're all great, I just listened. It's the one I chose to listen to before I started waffling about this list this morning, and thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> um, as I've already mentioned, there's a whole heap of genres, including what I thought was quite refreshing. Is there's a load of genres in there that are like quite out of fashion. I think I feel like. Um, such as um, I've already mentioned, new metal, nineties um, pop has a pretty big influence in there, which I feel like is a thing that's not particularly in fact. I think it's in fashion as like a nostalgic thing to listen to, but not necessarily as a thing among new artists to be inf- as influenced by. Um, and obviously, there's plenty of two thousands pop influences. Don't know, the more every time I listen to it, I pick up new things and like, oh, this segment sounds really like that. There was a certain bit earlier that I was like, this sounds like something that Michael Jackson would have come up with. Um, and yeah, it's just a whole mishmash of influences that, in a way, makes it sound like one of those mashup tracks. But where where mashup tracks sound like derivative, just of very different things, uh, this sounds completely new in a way. It's it's got a real kind of confidence and conviction to it. From, <laughs> I love the way the opening track has this kind of like rocket taking off sound, and then um, Dynasty that is, which 
just it just gets massiver and massiver. You think it's starting, you're like, oh, this is a booming track, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then we've got stuff in there. You know, there's like a grinding guitar riff, which sounds like Slash, and I can't remember the last time I heard a, a sort of guitar solo that was as epic as that. And it's another thing that's, I think, gone a little bit out of fashion, but it was lovely to see it coming back. Um, the vocals that just sounded absolutely humongous, like they were, you know, sort of had been beamed in from the Super Bowl halftime show or something. Um, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's marvellous. And it's, I just love a, an album that sucks you in like that with the first track. It's just like, bam, here we go. Um, and I don't think that many albums do that. So I absolutely love that. I remember putting it on and listening to that first track and just being like, I'm going to love this. Um, and there's just no real let ups throughout. And it doesn't keep doing the same thing. It's really creative and just a real kind of melding together of many, many influences that make it both nostalgic and completely new. Is that probably the way I'd summarize it? I really, really love Tawai Armour, and that's why it's my number four. Um, Michael, any comments on this? Yeah, so this was one of my favorite albums of the uh, of the year. Uh, at number six for me, Ooh. so it didn't Ooh. quite make the top Just five. Missed it. Just missed. Yeah, but it's an extremely thrilling pop album, uh, as Clive's very very well described there it's uh, it's got a bit of all sorts on it ballads uh, serpentine electronic tracks um massive pop moments but uh, surprising you with uh, with certain twists i thought the new metal a lot of talk about the album i think overstated the new metal side of it because it was only really stfu um but it was done superbly and i would have loved to hear a full album in that style uh, it would have been quite amazing to combine new metal and pop um, but when it's done here, it's done superbly. I think uh, Bad Friend and Excess ended up being the most acclaimed tracks from the album. Uh, Excess is a is a great satire of uh, consumerism. But for me, the track I listened to the most was Tokyo Love Hotel, which I haven't seen a, a lot of chatter about, uh, but is a, a beautiful tribute to Sawayama's Asian heritage. Um and yeah, this I'm I'm so excited to hear more from her and more from Clarence Clarity, whose production on the album is obviously sparkling uh, and very exciting. And uh, worth mentioning, of course, that um, the album came out on Dirty Hit, also the 1975's label, uh, also the home of Beer Doobie, whose album Fake It Flowers was uh, another top album from this year. Uh, so one of the more exciting labels in Britain right now. Uh, also, uh, the home of Pale Waves, whose uh, upcoming sophomore album uh, is intriguing me a lot from the tracks I've heard from it. So, uh, so yeah, all good as usual. Plenty to be excited about, and this was uh, this is a stellar album. I have not listened to this as a full album. Um, I've listened to individual tracks off this, which probably is making Michael Johnson wince in pain. Um, <laughs> but I, I am a fan, and I've just downloaded it in full. Um, Funnily enough, um, a track from this album has been stuck in my head ever since it was recommended to me by Michael, uh, which is not one that you mentioned, Clive, but um, Who's Gonna Save You Now was a bit of an earworm. Uh, kind of a big, kind mm-hmm. of unpretentious, kind of almost trailer... I would, I would call it trailer music, as in I could see that being on a promo for a film. Um, but it's no, she... I was just going to say it sort of combines hard rock with pop rather than new metal. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously a massive talent. Um, I don't know a lot about her, so I'm not going to comment. But um, I like, from the tracks I've heard, I like how unpretentious she is. Um, while, you know, this isn't some, you know, 
overly packaged pop product, but at the same time, it's not afraid to be unashamedly poppy. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Also, I think it's cool that obviously she's worked in the industry or around the industry for a number of years, but she's released a debut album, um, I think, when approaching the age of 30. So I think that's that's cool because you don't hear that very often, especially in pop. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's very refreshing, I think. Excellent. Okay. Um, I just want to, another thing I want to mention. Oh, sorry. I, mentioned, I mentioned it once on the podcast before, but I know you'll love it, uh, Alex, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, Dirty Hit, obviously, the label that I mentioned, uh, co founded by the late Ugo Ehiog. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I knew he had some involvement in music, and, and I love Big Ugo, and it's such a shame he was uh, taken from us at such a young age. Uh, Middlesbrough legend, um, brilliant centre back. Part of the best centre-back pairing we ever had alongside Gareth Southgate. Um, and absolutely deadly from a corner. Um, you couldn't you couldn't stop him coming. He was going to get that header. Um, yeah. Join us next time for our first football podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fan favourite as well. I don't think around that time, I'm not sure if anybody got uh, their name chanted more. I mean, it was pretty easy for him because, you know, you can just go, Ugo, Ugo. But, you know, um, what a guy. Obviously, as a Sunderland fan, I prefer his legacy with Dirty Hit to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Michael, mm-hmm. Rina Sawiara did not make your top five, but who made your number four? Well, it's another British pop album um, in the broadest possible sense. So at four, I've got an album that was very much um, influenced by the pandemic because it's basically about the pandemic. It's uh, How I'm Feeling Now by Charlie XCX. So she is, I mean, I've mentioned the 1975 enough on the podcast already, but she's very much one of their peers. Um, She makes no secret of the fact that she's uh, influenced by their music. And I've given her the slight edge here in terms of the album. So this album was recorded during lockdown uh, in Los Angeles, I believe, where, uh, where Charlie resides now. Uh, over a period of a week or two, I think, I haven't checked specifically, uh, which amazes me, because if this is the quality of work she can put out in that time period, then as far as I'm concerned, she should be uh, she should be giving us an album every month. <laughs> Not literally, obviously, that would ruin it. But um, this is this is the culmination. It's, it's Again, it's another culmination, although I hope the run continues, of what I think is basically um, a classic modern trilogy after uh, the album's Pop 2 and Charlie over the last couple of years. Um, call this sound what you will I mean it's become it's become known as hyper pop but there's a lot of controversy it seems among some music observers about what that means um, it's uh, it's also you know you can call it it's been called other things bubblegum bass deconstructed club whatever you like uh, but it certainly is part of a, a movement and a sound that does seem to be uh, it's still emergent I think but you, you can start grouping artists into that now um so you've got um pc music which is heavily involved with with charlie uh arca who i've been a long time fan and advocate advocate of on this podcast of course uh who also released a great album this year and uh sophie the scottish electronic producer um but i think what you what you have with this sort of with these things that become known as the sound of the future which is what what it basically has become you know what that always means is it's the sound of now because the future of music is never the way you imagine it it's uh, it's now 
Um, and a hundred gecks who I've talked about on the podcast, I should mention as well, very much part of the same uh, the same grouping, and also a collaborator with Charlie. But this is this is typified by uh, by I mean, when Pink Diamond kicks in, sledgehammering beats, you know, um, truly you know, tr- massive sounding sort of club style pop sound, but also it has the. All of all of all of her recent work re- features those moments of sort of lighter, more ecstatic mm-hmm. moment that's moments that are defined by uh, sort of fluttering keys. Uh, again, very very much dance music oriented, uh, but in a, in a different vein, um, sort of a, a very very emotional sort of evocative material. Uh, but lyrically, this touches upon. I mean, it's not complicated. It touches upon themes of uh, certainly. Love and estrangement, uh, estrangement from friends, uh, longing for friends and company, uh, missing parties. I think I mentioned a lyric from the album on the previous podcast in that sense. Uh, and all the themes that you would expect from a lockdown album. And this is, um, you know, this is the uh, the magnum opus of lockdown albums for sure. Um, I don't know how many more were recorded specifically during lockdown with the intention of reflecting the reality of what was going on. Uh, but this absolutely nails it. Um, it is. I mean, it's it's already. A, I mean, it's 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 not a nostalgic listen in the sense that we're obviously we're going through a third lockdown here already. Um, but I think there was there was a, there was something different about that first lockdown, um, and it is it's strange to look back upon now. But this is basically this exists as a document of that, a soundtrack of that, albeit from uh, from across the Atlantic, but by a British artist. And uh, I could not be more excited about Charlie XCX's work. Um, I don't know where it's going to take her, what sort of direction she's going to go in, but she's got a sound all of her own right now uh, that she's absolutely nailing with everything that she puts out. Typically, um, t- typically albums of around ten to fifteen tracks so far. It's been um, which feel you know very controlled. Uh, they usually the thing that gives this album a different edge to the last two. I think is they're usually ultra collaborationist. Uh, this doesn't have the guests in that sense, um, and they use. There's usually a trademark. Um, there's usually a, a remix of some sort of a track from the previous album so far, which uh, continues on on this record. So there's a lot of traits there that um, sort of give a comfort and familiarity to listening to a new material. Um, I mean, I, there might not be next time she she's ready to release something. There might not be a more anticipated album uh, for me because this year I've really elevated her to the very top um, t- upper echelons of my list in terms of favorite artists. So yeah, uh, couldn't be more excited. Love listening to this album. Incredible replay value. I've had it on constantly along with the other two her previous two albums that I mentioned, uh, and I think she she, I mean. She's look. She look. She can be located right on the borderline between uh, reality and the digital world when it comes to music making, in terms of the substance of the music and the themes addressed. Uh, and I think that's that's what makes it so similar in many senses to the uh, the nineteen seventy five, which I think is uh, is a comparison that she would welcome. But um, I think she's she's uh she's very much their peer and equal right now um and i think this this album was just slightly more focused that's what gives it the edge puts it at number 4 but it's abs- in a packed field it's one of my very favorites of the year i have not listened to this i've got no thoughts i'm afraid uh, i think i maybe listened to one or two tracks 
Clive, is this something that's crossed your ears? <laughs> it has crossed my ears. This was at number 14 for me. Um, yeah, big fan. I don't really have massive massive amounts to add to what Michael said as I was, as I was writing down my little notes. As Mike, well, after Michael had picked it, he pretty much ticked all of them off uh, <laughs> with your review. So, um, yeah, it's just, it sounds, it, I guess, hyper pop. I quite like that definition. Mm. It, it's, it is like gl- kind of glitchy pop, like almost going straight for the, um, I don't know, like trying to pierce straight for the emotions in some way. Um, and, and I found it quite a euphoric listen. Um, which I really enjoy about yeah. it, and it does have word, yeah. for that for that reason uh, lots of replay value for me. Um, it's very immediate. I think on the first listen, I got as much out of it as I have on subsequent ones, and that's not a negative thing. It's not dropped at all. <laughs> it's maintained the fact that I've loved it, um, but I absolutely loved it on the first listen, um, and I quite appreciate that sometimes if an album can do that and then maintain it. Often, if that happens, it means it drops off afterwards. But that's absolutely not been the case, and this was is probably one of my most listened to albums of the year. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is oh. one I've gone to quite a lot when I've just been like, I'm not sure what, because you just, you guarantee to have a good time listening to this. It is, uh, in my review here, I've written, it's a party of a record in a year without parties. And I think that. Uh, oh, is- perfect. Yeah. No, this is, this really, this, more than any other album, this just makes me want to go clubbing, which is what I really want to do at this point. Uh, that I'll go to a restaurant. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I think it, that that touches on something because I this is the sort of album I would throw on if I'm not sure what to listen to. When I do that, I tend to throw on something quite aggressive and party based. Um, so that might be something political, usually like Public Enemy or Rage Against the Machine. Uh, and I think this kind of fits into that. It sounds massive. Uh, it's very gaudy and colourful, very much a Creole sort of vibe to it. Uh, and this is why I think, although some people say, well, hyperpop, is it really a new genre? I think it is. I think it's basically accelerationist. It's really pushing the contours of pop forward, as I say, into the future, but really it's a contemporary sound. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I just think, you know, it, these things don't, they, do, they don't, sometimes they get made up, but I think once they've happened, uh, they are then, you know, they're then credible. It's kind of like what happened with Witch House. You know, it was it was sort of made up as a joke uh, just from a quote that one person said, but then it did become its own genre label, you know. And I think these things, they happen organically. Whether you like them or not, they, that is the way the culture develops. And I think, um, you know, art, artists like Arca, Sophie, and then obviously Charlie XX, like I mentioned, they might be quite disparate in some ways, but they are, I think they are worth grouping together. Uh, and I don't mind that. I like the conversations. Fantastic. Well, um, I've actually... I haven't listened to all of these albums yet, but I have at least heard something from all of them. So I feel like I'm getting something from this. Um, Michael, what is your number three? Are we changing order, are we? Oh, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) Clive. I don't mind too much, but, you know. Clive, no, no, fuck that. Um... (laughs) Clive, what is your number three? We stick with the order, Michael. No, no fucking around. No messing about. My number three is um, an album that we've pretty much dedicated a whole episode to, so I'm not going to waffle too much about it, but it's um, Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. 
My um, review on the website says, Fetch the Bolt Cutters is an album of creative confidence, one where Fiona's rarely stopped herself and gone, nah, this sounds like a bad idea, but rather followed a song's path to completion, regardless of how unconventional and odd it might sound to begin with. What results is the rarest, rarest of beasts. An album as unique as herself, using music that has come before as only smatterings of influence, while never turning them into a template. Put simply, it's groundbreaking. Uh, my favourite songs will fetch the bolt cutters under the table, drum set, on I go. Um, <clears throat> like I say, we already spent pretty much a whole episode talking about this, so I don't want to waffle too much. Um, the thing that makes it so unga- engaging to me is it sounds kind of unlike anything else I've heard. And a key to that is absolutely the way the percussion is used, which, which we talked about um, when we talked about it on the pod. Just They have this kind of... She just seems like willing to use anything as percussion. There's lots of percussion. There's quite a few times where there's really only percussion in her voice, which I think is something that's underused um, generally. And it just has this kind of free, almost jazz-like structure to it. And it just kind of sounds... It's also... I was just thinking about this earlier, what else is making it kind of sound different. It sounds remarkably basic in terms of like the lack of effects used on, um, you know, on her voice or on the instruments. But it's it's kind of minimalistic in that respect if not in the instruments that are being used even though i think in some ways it is i feel like there's lots of instruments used throughout but they're never piled on top of each other and um, they're quite like now it's this thing playing and now it's this thing playing and everything very much has its place and doesn't feel like it's taken away from anything else um, and i think those three things that the kind of the instrument choice the completely free kind of structure to everything and the real strength of the percussion on the album are what really make it stand out alongside obviously Fiona Apple's great vocals and lyrics and um, so yeah this was a, a real favorite for me and probably the album of the year that stuck out as being the most original um, to me so absolutely <laughs> loved it and that's why I'd put it at number three it probably has ended up at number three rather than even higher just because it didn't maybe affect me as much when I was listening to it as the ones above it, even though I would say it is more original um, and more groundbreaking than than those two. It's always hard to kind of decide where you put in your, you know, where the line is for you in terms of what you put into the list and where you put it in terms of how much you really got into it and how much it affected you as opposed to how much you thought it was kind of groundbreaking and pushing you ground and, you know, that kind of thing. And I guess that's why this has ended up at number three. And I expect this will end up somewhere on Michael's list. <laughs> You'd expect correctly. Um, it, ended, it ended up on my list as well. Um, I won't say too much on this. Like you said, it, we've covered it quite extensively. Um, I will, I'll will i just mention at this point my top three tracks from it. Um, I know Michael will have more to say later. Um, it was my number two. Uh, my favourite tracks were the... Well, the title track, Festival Cutters, I Want You to Love Me, and probably the most striking track that we did go over extensively for her. Um, I'm going to leave it to Michael to go into more depth because I'm anticipating it being at worst number two. Maybe wrong. We'll find out. Okay. Do you want me to wait and come in later? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do that. Let's, let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. Okay. Um, okay. Michael, what is your number three? My number three is Women in Music Part 3 by Haim. Now, this this is a band who also, during this year, have elevated to being, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best in the world. 
Um, I wasn't really familiar with them before this year, but it turns out that not only is their first album um, a classic, packed with all sorts of crazy pop songs that are just um, utterly flat-out brilliant, uh, but so is this new album, uh, which really refines um, their songwriting, uh, despite the fact that it's longer than anything they've previously put out. So I think that's that's testament to uh, how strong it is. It's, um, I mean, this what this album tells you is that, and I'm, I'm often guilty of thinking you have to sound like nothing else that's ever been done, like Fetch the Bolt Cutters does, as Clyde referred to, or you have to push a load of envelopes in order to be significant in music these days. But this album single-handedly proves that that isn't the case. It's. I think most people have located the secret of Heim's alchemy by now. It's a combination of combining 70s, 80s, uh, soft rock, Fleetwood Mac, The Bangles, uh, with a distinct sense of 90s R&B rhythm and melody. Um, best typified, I think that that particular style of their writing is best typified by the song 3AM on this album. Um, and, you know, the, that, and that's fine because these songs are so brilliant. Um, the album is, um, is packed with musical flourishes, um, you know, which is t- which is again typical of uh, the collaboration of uh, former Vampire Weekend member Rustam Batmanglish, and also Ariel Rexshed, whose name I don't know how to pronounce, uh, but producer again on this Heim album. Um, so I'm talking about things like the um, the uh, the unfurling mariachi horns at the end of another try, or the uh, sort of the beds of keys that drive the end of uh, I've Been Down. Moments like that. Um, there's some wonderful horn moments on the album, um, which are so warm as well. Um, it's well, I mean, it's it's it, they're, they're they're warm but wintry. I always think like they're warm in the way that well, maybe on a track like uh, the opener Los Angeles, they're very warm. Um, but uh, the track mentions winter in New York as well, uh, and then on on the closing track, uh, Summer Girl, which I think. I've mentioned before is, is arguably the best thing they've ever done. Um, yeah, they, they feel warm in the way a raging fire in the winter does those those horns, you know. So th- there's there's that sort of duality to them. They're extremely evocative, and that's what makes the atmospheres of some of these tracks and that one in particular so incredible. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, some of my favorite tracks are the ones with the the you know the, the bendiest guitar riffs on this album, like uh, gasoline. And uh, fucked up but true, which is um, a stunning track. Love it. I love the way that um, nothing except for the guitar and lead vocal come in until the end of the track. Um, it sort of reminded me of um, "Let Me In" by REM in that sense. Um, so that that they're just some of the highlights. I mean, this is this is not the 1975's album um, in the sense of variation, but it's still fairly varied. Uh, you've got you know Scandi pop. Uh, in the in the form of now I'm in it, and uh, Hallelujah is a is a big sort of folk ballad. Um, so there's there's all sorts of treats scattered throughout the album. Uh, the steps was the big a big well one of the big singles from the album, which is very Motown esque in my opinion. That central riff and uh, Don't Wanna is uh, is also a, a brilliant pop song. Uh, and this is a great. Um, I know it became a, it's become a sort of meme with Heim that um, it's music to walk to. They do a lot of walking in their uh, in their videos, and I think that's definitely true. You know, there's a very driving sense to a lot of this material. 
And uh, it's interesting structurally because this is, uh, it's basically, I don't know if everyone who's listened to the album is aware of this, but it's basically a 13-track album. Then you've got three tracks that were released before the album came out, tacked onto the end in a sort of bonus form. But other than the fact that Fucked Up But True should be the should possibly be the closer because it feels like it should be, and it is in terms of those initial 13 tracks. Other than that, you don't really realise, I think, which uh, which is lucky, but a great, another good strength of the album. Uh, and closing it with, uh, with Summer Girl is is um, is not a bad choice by any means. Um, and even though I say that is the best track they've ever, they might have ever done, you know, there are other contenders on this album. It's not like it stands out like a sore thumb or anything. I mean, this this is remarkably consistent, remarkably enjoyable, and I think you can tell that from the fact that I've um, I've ranked it so high. But this band, I really do, even though then, even though as I say, they're not doing anything that hasn't been done before. They're not doing anything that's innovative. It doesn't matter. I still think they are writing some of the best music uh, out there right now. Um, and over the course of their of their first three albums, but this one really really does push it up to a, another level. Uh, and is is a, a huge standout from the year, and one that I've listened to lords. Uh, likewise, it's my number one. Um, it's pretty tight between Fetch the Bolt Cutters and uh, Women in Music Part Three, um, but ultimately, I listen to this one more. Um, which isn't really to say it's better than Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It just personally um, was more enjoyable. Um, I can't really add anything to what you said there. I can't compete with that. But um, I just love the I love the fact that they are so immensely listenable. Um, and like you said, they're not doing anything remarkably different. Um, but there's pure banger after banger on this. I mean, I think my favourite track on the album is uh, The Steps. But the more I listen to a track like Don't Wanna, which is not particularly ambitious, but is just an absolute pure melody, um, the more I love it. Um, I, obviously, me and Michael are planning to see Heim this year. Whether that is possible, I don't it's know. Not just me and you. Oh, of course. And Clive, sorry. I forgot <laughs> <what you're laughs> sorry. Um, whether that will like. be possible, I don't know. Um, but hopefully, it'll get rearranged. If not, um, I can't wait anyway. Same, definitely. Same, very excited. Um, this was my number eight, so absolutely loved it as well and pretty much disagree with what everything you guys have said. It doesn't do anything particularly new, but it's everything it does is so good and like the production of it is so creative and I don't know, there's there's a real depth to it even if there isn't. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. But um, there's, it's very catchy and immediate, but there's it never gets old on repeat listens. Um, which again is something I mentioned about Charlie XCX is something I loved on the first listen and have probably loved it more every time I've listened to it after that but yeah a really great album and just a real good demonstration of how you don't need to uh, like as Michael said push the envelope necessarily to make a a great album you can just make a great album full of great songs Um, yeah it's really really good and loved it so I'll be checking out there I have not really listened to their other two albums much so I need to go back and check those out the second one is more of a grower, but the first one is is instant and um, extremely exciting. I, that's what I found the first time I listened to it. I, you know, I had goosebumps. So. Well, it also features their best track, in my opinion, "The Wire." Um, I not, do love that one. Not inspired by um, <laughs> the TV show, as far as I understand, but um, 
Oh, by the way, um, going back to... Um, Definitely well, no, not I'll, inspired by it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was just about to make another point, uh, which I won't. I'll make it later, perhaps. Um, mystery. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I was just... I just want to add that. I think this... I don't know if I quite have my finger on what I mean by this, but I think of the five albums I'm mentioning here, this is the most musical. Uh, and I think if you if you go out and there's... Um, I mean, there's 16 tracks here to work with. There's so much great material. If you go out and find videos of these tracks being performed live in various settings this year, during uh, obviously during the pandemic, I think you'll, it'll add to your appreciation of them. Um, it's, 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 they're, they're a great band to watch perform these songs. I think. Hmm. I, I think. Um, sorry, I, I don't know what. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say um, the comparison I would make with them, um, aside from obvious ones, and I don't mean this as a diss, is they make me think of Alanis Morissette. Or like that kind of nineties women guitar rocks, kind of like Meredith Brooks, maybe. Um, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a mm-hmm. as a as a as a fair, fairly good comparison. No, well, those, yeah, well, those sort of things have been on the ascendancy. I mean, that's one of the um, you know that's really one of the uh, the sounds at the forefront coming out of the US right now. Is uh, I mean, if you wanted to refer to it disparagingly, you'd call it girls with guitars, I guess, but. Um, I don't know. I think they're a cut above most of that, personally, for me. Hi. Yeah. Uh, but even though I do like a lot of the stuff that's sort of, co- it, it's not not necessarily Alanis Morissette uh, um, and the like, but it often is. So acts like we talked about it before. So Soccer Mommy, Claro, uh, but then also more indie based stuff like Snail Mill. But yeah, you de- that's definitely something that's been on the rise and is uh, is right up there. And there's some incredible female song- songwriters uh, in America right now. Um, I mean, not just those sort the some of the artists I've just mentioned, but uh, you know Mitski, um, and there's others. But I'm just talking about ones that remind me of this sort of sphere of music. Mm. The thing about the album for me is it's the one I've had a few people since I wrote the list, you know, sent it around and people have read it and been like, oh, I'm going to go out and listen to number one. I won't say what that is. And I'm like, I don't know if that's where I'd start <laughs> if I were you. Uh, and I usually point them and say the one I can pretty much guarantee you're going to like is Haim. Um, because I, yeah. I can't think of anyone who wouldn't listen to this album and think it's great. Whereas there's plenty of others on the list where I think it'll be too, I don't know, someone who's not as into music as me. As, as us three um, isn't gonna get as much from them as I do. Um, yeah, <laughs> but Heim is something that works across the board. You're not going to unleash fetch the bolt cutters on someone unsuspecting, are you? No, exactly. <laughs> no. Right. Okay. Well, we're into uh, what in the '90s would have been the Champions League for places. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, Great for reference. right now, all of them are in the Champions League, or at least you know the playoffs. Um, <laughs> Clive, um, what is your number two? So my number two um, is an album that I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast, uh, but that Michael probably is expecting to turn up on the list as I raved about it to him uh, the other day via WhatsApp. It's uh, Melee by Dogleg. Um, And I'll read my website review in traditional fashion and then waffle on. Uh, We needed Melee in 2020. With no live performances since March, we needed an album that got pretty close to doing the impossible, bringing the energy of a live show onto a record. Soistiadis' vocals, sorry if I've pronounced his name wrong, are endless body tense screams where it sounds as if his voice could crack anyone. 
never to work again. Grissom's lead guitar screeches and flutters like his strings are unable to sit still, and Masinki's bass marches along as Jacob Hankum's drumming flurries and thrashes at breakneck speed like an out-of-control tornado. Um, in Bolivia, it's not uncommon to end up driving on what seems like a normal straight road that's actually more than twice as high as the highest mountain peak in the UK. You only kind of notice the marvel of that once you've um, of what you've just experienced when you get back to sea level and you can breathe. Um, on melee, that there's so little let up that this absolute typhoon of energy almost feels normal until it ends and you return to uh, in quote sea level and immediately feel kind of less alive before impulsively starting the record again in an addictive need for the energy it provides in a year where i needed a kick up the arse to break the endless monotony Dogleg's debut provided just that and what a marvel it is um i think this is the one on the list that is very much a quote clive album um <laughs> and those who know me well and listen to it probably would have immediately thought clive needs to listen to this um I'm a sucker for like high energy, slightly chaotic guitar music. Like we've talked about Japan Droids. Um, I'm sure we've talked about the driving in the past too. Um, another one of my favorite bands. And this very much kind of fits that mold. It's self recorded and produced, um, which I think is notable in this sense because I think they've really captured a live sound that's completely kind of bristling with energy and something that I could have imagined being squashed if they'd um, recorded it properly in a studio, if you know what I mean. Um, And it's one of those albums where, which happen occasionally, where the lyrics are very much secondary to the way they're performed. Um, It feels like the vocalist kind of way of expressing his manic energy in the moment, (laughs) as opposed to necessarily being important what he's singing about. Um, It's it's very much the, the way he's delivering it and the melodies and stuff that's more important. And I think that's kind of what makes the record so immediate. But it was just, it's the, one of the records this year that I just put on and it just blew me away straight. I'll put it on while I was walking to Sainsbury's, a very unnotable event. Um, but it ended up being a very notable event because I, the whole way there and back, I was just like, this is bloody great. <laughs> and it was a, a few weeks where I'd felt a bit glum about endless bloody decorating in the house. Um, and did need a bit of a kick up the arse and this definitely provided that. And it's just, I don't know, it really does bring across I think the energy of a live performance and I'd love to see this band live um, because I'm sure they'll be absolutely amazing and I think that's really really difficult to do I think studio recordings tend to suck out the energy of a live performance and often it's the albums that in a way just kind of go away from trying to make it sound like a live performance that end up better because of that quite often Um, this isn't the case here this very much sounds like a live performance and I think they've nailed I'm imagining they probably recorded most of it live. I don't know. It's just got that beautiful chaos, that kind of sense of it could fall apart at any minute, but it doesn't. Um, that, you know, imperfections and just for however many there is, three or four of them just going absolutely nuts. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And I think everyone to check it out who thinks, who likes, you know, at the drive-in, that kind of sound, I think will love it. And I know, my, I know Michael's listened to it. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, no, it's a it's a thrill to listen to. It's a treat, um, and I think I didn't listen to many debut albums this year, and I, I think that this was certainly one. Sawayama was another, um, but yeah, it, it seemed like this was one of the the most acclaimed and loved debut albums of the year. And I, I mentioned to Clive the other day, I saw a lot of talk about how if the live circuit had been up and running as it usually is, Dogleg are one of the bands that would have benefited the most. Uh, and I think Clive's touched upon why that is clearly. 
Um, so yeah, perhaps this record hasn't had justice because of that. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's, it's going to spread more by word of mouth. It definitely appeals to, um, a certain audience who are into various forms of emo post hardcore. Uh, and I follow a lot of those people on uh, on Twitter, and I'm sure this has been one of the top albums for, of the year for most of them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, if 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 you want something harder than most of the stuff we've discussed here, um, then it's absolutely recommended. Interesting. Uh, I've not even heard of this, um, so I can't really pass comment other than to say that Dogleg is a great name for a band. Um, <laughs> I just looked them up. Um, I like how it's not even two words. It's just, you know, one word, dogleg. Yeah. You know? On that note as well, actually, the album's named after a Super Smash Bros. Melee egg, uh, game on the GameCube, a Nintendo oh, game, one of my well, favourite games No, no wonder well, you so. loved it, yeah. I mean, I only found that out afterwards, but I was like, I don't know if I could love them anymore. This yeah, I didn't know that until you, you said it, Clive. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> and when I first listened to it, I wasn't paying attention to what the song titles were, but then later on I noticed one was called War Tortle, and I was like, this guy... <laughs> yeah. These guys know how to press my buttons. <laughs> it's written just for wow. you, Clive. <laughs> I did ask if there was going to be a surprise. Now that may not have been a surprise to Michael, but it was a surprise to me. Um, I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them a listen. Excellent. I think you like them. Excellent. Um, well, I'm very intrigued to know what you've got at one now. Yeah, so am I. Um, <laughs> well, for, before we find that out, let's find out. Um, if Fetch the Bolt Cutters is number two or number one with Michael. Uh, Michael, what is your number two? Yep, so you already know which two I've got here at the top two, so it's just a matter of putting them into order. And at number two, it is Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Um, definitely the most acclaimed album uh, of, of 2020. Uh, the reason I offered up my comments earlier was because I don't have a lot left to say about this. We talked about it so extensively on the podcast. Of course. I think Clive's already mentioned all of the uh, the biggest qualities of this album. Uh, I think it was another album, as I touched upon on the podcast previously, that was uh, it took on new resonance because of lockdown. The fact that Apple basically used a house as an instrument. You could hear a dog's barking on the tracks and things like that. Uh, it was very much about uh, breaking free of confines. Uh, in, in being about that, it touched upon so many themes, uh, largely about gender relations. Um, and I think I didn't really mention this, but uh, I don't think um, I don't think Heim's album was heavy on themes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all about relationships, and it's definitely written from uh, obviously from a female perspective. But I don't think it was um, it was overhanded on that in the way that Apple's album is. I'm not even saying that as a criticism. Uh, but I think all of the top three albums um, in my list uh, are written from. A perspective in some senses of uh, of female experiences of pain and relationships, but certainly this one more so than the others. Um, it, you could delve pretty deeply into this in terms of analysing those the- thematics in it, um, and I think I think the fact that so many people have different favourite tracks from this speaks exactly to uh, how strong an album it is. Um, I know that um, the opening track, Alex mentioned it, um, I Want You To Love Me, I think was probably the most acclaimed song, which surprises me, because I, I like every track on this album for sure, but I'd probably have it lower down on the list. Um, for me, Under The Table was such an amusing song, that I'd be right up there. Uh, I love it. Um, uh, Heavy Balloon, which I haven't seen mentioned as much, I thought was one of the standouts, very singable. 
And uh, Alex did mention For Her, which I think is one of the most jaw-dropping tracks I've ever heard. It starts off so jaunty and then takes such a twist with that that savage lyric later on in the track, which uh, really pulls the rug from underneath the whole thing. And there's so many, there's so many sort of theatrical structures and moments throughout the album like that. Uh, Ladies is another uh, another top track for me. Um, the stuff the album does with percussion. Uh, I mentioned it reminded me of Bone Machine by Tom Waits. Um, it's an album I think I'll always think of in the same sort of vein. Uh, and it has, because of that, it has that sort of industrial quality um, that Bone Machine also has uh, that you don't really see uh, seep that much into music as acclaimed as this or by an artist who, uh, despite the fact that she's uh, really quite experimental, is quite a mainstream, well-known figure, or certainly within music in the US. Uh, but I think, again, I've talked a lot about finality and uh, closure, it seems like today, which hadn't really struck me before. Before, uh, before now, before I dived into this, uh, but I really feel like this album is a culmination of uh, one woman's mission, both against and within the music industry, um, and I think it is undoubtedly an unadulterated triumph. Well, what can be added on that? Um, the only thing I can add, and we discussed this last time, but now I fully understand. Obviously, it's common knowledge that the. Um, the title Fetch the Bull Cutters is a quote from The Fall, uh, which I'm watching for the first time at the minute. Um, what's striking to me is that line is not a massively dramatic line in the in the show. It's a blink and you'll miss it moment. Um, albeit, um, it happens moments before uh, Gillian Anderson's character is about to crack open a storage unit, um, well, slash mini house, where she's hoping to find uh, either the body or the um, the kidnapped uh, Rose Stag, um, which it's a TV show I'd heartily recommend, by the way. Um, I, I guess it just meant a lot to her because the line seems fairly incidental, but um, it well, was carries- interesting, interesting to see it in the full context. Yeah, it would be. It carry it carries that theme, obviously, of violence against women. Although, what makes what makes fetch the bolt cutters a bit different is it 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 really carries out a deep exploration of uh, relationships between women as well, but in the same context, and the way that um, you know men sometimes try to divide and rule in that sense. And um, yeah, I think that gives it a different edge to a lot of the commentary that is obviously um, very widespread these days about gender relationships. Well, the fall is um, uh, has shown me one of the uh, one of the best portrayals of kind of misogynistic hatred of women uh, mm. in a serial killer. So I can understand why uh, Fiona yeah. Apple would have been a fan. No, oh, yeah, it's um, it's powerful stuff, isn't it? And when you pair it with music that's quite as singular as this, uh, you can see why it's had um, such an effect on so many listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we're getting into not just Champions League places. Uh, <coughs> we're going for the title. Um, now, I'm very curious as to what Clive's got at number one. Um, Me too. Any guesses, Michael? Uh, no, I haven't figured it out yet. Mm, interesting. Well, um, no, ne- neither I, I. feel like it's some. It must be something obvious, maybe, but I don't know. I don't know if you'll. I don't know if you will think it's obvious. I don't know. All right. um, but before I do that, I'll just mention as well that uh, Fiona Apple had a part in. I didn't know this at the time. My part of my favourite song of the year, which was uh, Dylan's Murder Most Foul. Um, 
Oh, she really? plays. I, can't, I think there's a piano on the track. I can't remember. Um, I just remember reading that she said she felt really nervous, and uh, he he was just like, "I'm not paying you to be perfect. I'm paying to. <laughs> You're not here to be perfect. You're here to be you, or something." And, and then she felt very relaxed. Uh, I can't remember why I read that. It was in some random interview, um, and I, I was like, I, "Oh, I, I had no idea she was part of the song." So that's interesting. I also found out recently. Uh, I know I sent this to uh, Alex at the time. I didn't. Uh, there was a, a headline quote from her. I did read the article as well. I didn't know that she dated Paul Thomas Anderson, who uh, obviously um, podcast listeners know is uh, is one of our collective favourites. I think, uh, but it's the the portrayal of him was highly unflattering uh, that <laughs> Apple gave. And the headline quote was that she gave up cocaine after spending a night listening to Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino boast about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty incredible. I mean, that is a fairly typical uh, reaction from taking a lot of cocaine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll I'll give give PTA the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's he's a nicer guy or less egotistical when he's not coked up. Yeah, well, we we don't know, do we? But uh, it was just an incredible headline, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, so yeah, that, that, that my favourite song. And no, Rough and Rowdy Ways, Bob Dylan's album was a number number 11, for what it's worth. Also great. Um, my number one is Microphones in 2020 by The Microphones. All uh, right. Um, and this is a review. And I usually write these reviews, these little uh, blurbs. They're usually little blurbs. This one's a bit longer. While listening to the album, because I try to... <sighs> Trenches as it sounds, encompass a little bit of what the album is into the energy of my writing. <laughs> and I find that happens if I'm listening to it. So this one oh, ended yeah. up being really dramatic. And afterwards, I was a bit like, is this too dramatic? And I was just like, no, fuck it, I'm leaving it. This is what it made me feel like. Um, so here goes. This is the review I've got on the website. Elvrum, which I th- hope is how you pronounce it, uh, returns under the microphones moniker for the first time in 17 years in a characteristically experimental effort. A 44-minute song comprised of just two chords, it hums with a delicate beauty. Elvrum breezes over lines like, the thing I just realised for probably the millionth time, that walking with my knees trembling is the true state of all things, as if they weren't bloody gorgeous, setting out his stall and struggle with a mumbled bluntness that's infinitely, infinitely refreshing. It breaks the fourth wall in such a way as to make you part of the experience of its creation, and to experience this while listening to the end product puts you into a weird state of timelessness. Then, as your guard drops in this void, you realise someone with Phil Elvrum's platform and success is just as lost as you are, and they'll probably <clears throat> remain just as lost forever. And though you don't know each other and never will, he feels like your brother. And you sit there and stare at the ceiling as the song weaves from that double-tracked acoustic guitar to the heavily distorted segments and back out like a boat navigating a sporadic storm, and you realise once again, for probably the millionth time, that you're just an insignificant piece of sand in a massive universe that doesn't mean anything, and everything you make will one day be lost, and everything you've made will one day be forgotten as if it never existed in the first place. And weirdly, this thought makes you smile, because there's a melancholy freedom in realising, for probably the millionth time, the futility of it all. And you go downstairs and you hug someone in your household and suddenly their aura feels stronger as you realise, again, for probably the millionth time, that all, the re- all that really matters is each other and that there's no end and that sure, your search for meaning will never bear fruit, but some fruit will drop from the branches regardless if you just look around once in a while. And then finally, you realise how cheesy that all sounds, but you couldn't really care less. The microphones in 2020 is 2020's masterpiece. That's what I wrote about on the website. Some more, uh, some less wishy-washy thoughts. Um, it very much echoes 
in a way, Mount Eries, which is also an Elverum project. Um, 27 album, A Crow Looked at Me, which is a brutally honest and blunt and quite probably the most devastating album I've ever listened to. Um, look into his kind of state of mind following his wife's death. It was That one was split more into songs, but it's very spur of the moment. Just really dark. Like, um, it's also, it's the kind of thing you have to absolutely have to listen to attentively. But if you do, it has a magnificent kind of melancholy power to it, um, unlike anything else I'd heard at the time. And this is similar. It's, it's, which is why when people have read my list and gone, I'm going to go check out number one. I'm a bit like, I don't know. Um, you know, this isn't the kind of thing you put on in the car. Uh, this is, you really got to sit down and just, for, you know, say, I'm going to sit down for 45 minutes with my headphones on and I'm not going to faff about on Facebook or whatever. I'm just going to listen to this. Um, it, it very much fits that mold, much like uh, a crow looked at me. It's, this is less sad, um, though it is still very sad. And it's more just about kind of existing and Elvram's life up to this point and go delves into a little bit of what I took to be the creation of the song itself, uh, but could have been something else. I'm not massively clued up on the microphones and haven't listened to loads of their earlier stuff in great depth. Um, but we, I'm sure I will do when I get to it in my challenge and I'm excited to. Um, but you, you, you just got, you really got to listen to this attentively to get anything out of it. And then, it, and for that reason, it will absolutely not end up being your most listened to album of the year. It wasn't mine. I'd probably listen to it twice. But it's the album that on each listen was the most kind of moving, meditative experience for me um and just kind of completely absorbed me i didn't even really need to say i'm going to pay attention to this uh, for 44 minutes as soon as i put it on i ended up you know just uh, the phone didn't get taken out for the next 44 minutes and i ended up thinking about <laughs> uh, all kinds of things um i think the two chords kind of repeat repeated just take build you into a kind of trance where your focus is then on the things that are changing around it um which brings out this kind of like hyper focus the hyper focus that you need for the record to really hit home um so yeah i just think it's a, like a really masterful kind of piece of creation and very much just like thinking about what he wants to bring across and not putting it into you know it's a 44 minute song it's completely not radio <laughs> it's absolutely not friendly to anything it's you can't go to someone oh check out this song and you'll get a good idea of what it's like um it doesn't fit any of those things it's like it does it's not accessible basically but it in also doesn't feel like he's deliberately made it inaccessible and in some ways it is really accessible because it's just as far as i can tell a c and an f chord played over and over again uh, which records that you'll be very familiar with from millions of other songs um and it doesn't ever do anything where you're like oh jesus christ this is really difficult to listen to um it's quite calming and soothing and but it's the kind of context that that's put in and it just being a 44 minute song it immediately makes it quite inaccessible um but it's just yeah really really great and the one album that to me felt a bit like instead of sitting down it felt like sitting down watching a film rather than sitting down listening to a piece of music in a weird way um even though there's nothing visual about it <laughs> other than the lyrics but if you haven't listened to this album i'd highly recommend you do it uh, but just yeah pick a time where you can do it properly because it's absolutely i think the first listen of it needs to be a really well, any listen of it, really, but <laughs> unlike some other albums, I feel like you can go, oh, I'm going to put this on uh, while I do this, and then later I'll listen to it attentively. This one, you need to, the first time, do it that way. Um, and yeah, it's great. So that's why it's my number one. Have not heard of this, not even heard of the band. Um, annoyingly, 
this album is not on Apple Music. Um, so uh, if Spotify <laughs> have got it, I'm very, I'm very irritated. It's on. Uh, Are you listening, Apple? It's on Bandcamp, uh, where you can listen, you can stream. Most people don't seem to know that you can stream stuff for free on Bandcamp, but you can. Um, you, it's annoyingly you have to like go, but you can just get the app or whatever. It's a bit more annoying than going on Spotify, but it's it's free. And obviously, w- with you doing it attentively anyway, that's probably going to be less annoying. Um, so you can totally go and listen to it for free on there. This was the year where I bought the most albums I've ever bought from Bandcamp. Just a fun fact for you. <laughs> I think I'd only ever bought one before this year. Michael, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard it. Uh, it's definitely one of uh, the most acclaimed albums of the year by music nerds uh, and cer- certain critics, but not necessarily all. Um, there's always albums, I think, that you clearly know you should listen to them, but they're not grabbing you. You don't really feel like doing so. And this is one for me, and I think I know why that is. I think it's clearly not a good jumping in point to Elverum's work, I think. I don't think it would be the best thing to listen to. I think that would be The Glow Part 2, um, which is the most recent Pitchfork album of the year that I haven't heard from way back in 2001. Um, so I think there's a bit of that. Um, and then, I don't know, there's, sometimes it's something daft, but I hate the album title. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, I just don't like that. Uh, but I've still never heard uh, A Crow Looked At Me, even though I should have. Um, so I think there's a bit of that as well. I wasn't aware of any of the thematics or structure of this album, so it sounds uh, very interesting, obviously, from what Clive's described. The fact that it's at number one means I need to listen to it anyway, regardless. Um, but that's just some of the reasons I haven't heard it, uh, and I would like to you know, listen to the Glow Part 2 at some point and then use that as a, as a jumping-off point. Okay. This is well, a- absolutely sorry, Al. This is absolutely the type of album that, I, similar to you, Michael, uh, probably wouldn't have got. It would have just sounded like a bit too much effort, um, mm. in a way. Yeah. But it can be I daunting, kind of, can't it? Yeah. yeah, but because of the way, my, obviously, my challenge. I've been listening to the top five on Rate Your Music, and I have to, uh, regardless of what they are, listen to them for the, for that year. And I did the same thing for this one, and this was number one on there. So I ended up listening right. to it. And I'm very glad I did, as you can tell. But I, I needed something to kick me up the arse to do it, because, yeah, you're quite right. The title's not very enticing. Um, and I, I didn't know the, the thematics of it at all either um, mm. until I delved into it. Um, and it wasn't on Spotify. There was loads of things making, <laughs> making it slightly more of a pain to listen to. Um, yeah. But I'm very glad I did in the end. But yeah, sometimes then you get the you get the opposite thing where eventually a couple of things happen. You see it in certain places, like you just said, and you just think, right, I really want to hear that now. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you're listening to as much music as I tend to be, or you, and you tend to be, you need that click moment to pull you in sometimes. But it's just funny how it develops. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Well, that's another surprise. Um, another one, along with uh, Dog Lake, who I've not heard of. Um, I will endeavour to listen uh, now comes uh, the other champion, a bit more predictable, but I won't steal the thunder. <laughs> Michael, what is your number one? Well, you already know it if you've listened uh, in full, but it's, uh, it is Punisher by Phoebe Bridges. Um, I sometimes find that it's harder to talk about your number one than it is some of the others because it can, um, you know, it can be a little bit too much. Uh, and this album means a hell of a lot to me. Uh, I've listened to it a lot this year for sure. Um, and even though it's quite heavy going in terms of the um, the things involved in it, I think I've still listened to it a lot. So I think that's a very good sign. Proves why it's at number one. Um, obviously, I concur with a lot of what Clive said earlier. 
Um, it's, I mean, it's, it is one of those albums where, as Clive mentioned, the cover art is perfect. Um, I don't know if it's the best cover art of the year. It might be. It would certainly be up there. But it's, it does exactly what it says on the, on the tin. It's a Ron Sealer. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, the image of Bridges in what is now a tr- sort of the almost trademark skeleton suit, uh, in the desert, looking up as if she's about to be, uh, to be beamed up. And, um, you know, the album does have that sort of, eerie, gloomy, otherworldly atmosphere that the uh, the colour tone of the album cover, the redness, um, sort of evokes. Uh, that's definitely present throughout. Um, most of the tracks are very slow moving, like Clive, um, Clive mentioned. Um, it's sort of a weird mixture of times, I think, of being quite funereal and life-affirming. Uh, which I think that sort of combination, if an artist can pull it off, is what really pushes a project over the edge. Uh, it, it will stay with you after that. Um, but there are also there's also a driving rock song like uh, Kyoto, uh, which I think caught a lot of listeners' ears. Maybe people who haven't delved quite as deeply into the record, that's kind of the one they've heard probably. Uh, this did also, I think, take on some more resonance uh, in lockdown just because it was such a challenging time. Um, and I mean the album ends with the track I think that has probably been the most acclaimed from this one uh, I Know The End um, which has a very strong sense of finality uh, very climactic basically a song about apocalypse in sm- small town America and I think that obviously um, spoke directly to what people were experiencing uh, it really builds up to a huge crescendo. The way the song flips in the middle is um, is very engaging indeed. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a number of um, utterly beautiful tracks on this album. Uh, Moon Song really stands out, uh, and lyrically, um, I mean, Bridges is quite an enigma. I think um, from everything that I know about her now. Um, the lyrics are very intelligent and moving throughout the album. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of, uh, not as overtly, like I was saying about uh, Matty Healy earlier, um, who uh, who Bridges is a huge fan of, um, by the way. Um, but in the same sense, a lot of these lyrics are sort of snapshots of, uh, sort of voice of a generation, millennial thought. Um, and again, some people would consider that to would say that in a snide manner, but that's not what I mean. They really encapsulate something. A lot of these lyrics uh, on that track, um, Moon Song, you've got um, a lyric that became quite controversial, caused a bit of a social media spat. Um, we hate tears in heaven, but it's sad that his baby died. So it's it it really it really sums up a sort of millennial snideness about dad rock. But at the same time, it's loaded with an empathy uh, that I think is typical of millennials, certainly in my experience. Um, certainly in these days and times, with the political shitstorm that we find ourselves having to put up with uh, as a generation. But um, it's it's lyrics like that that really uh, that are really the strength of some of her writing. Uh, she's a huge, hugely influenced by Elliot Smith as well. Uh, and the end of um, of the track Halloween uh, is very Smith esque, uh, and I'm assuming that's by intention. Uh, we talked on the podcast previously, of course, I think at length about the album title, 
which uh, Bridges was using as a reference to people who uh, aren't fun at parties, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> and she, she felt confident in, in using that and expressing it because she, she could identify with it. She felt she'd been that person before. Uh, I think, was it Energy Vampire was our alternative? Uh, yeah, that's from um, what we do. What we do in the shadows, the yeah. kind of Kiwi American comedy uh, sitcom, which is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, me and my friend at work use banter vampire instead. Uh, I think it has more <laughs> of a ring to it, or bantpire for short. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, chit chat so- dementors. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> if you want, yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's, there's, that's kind of playful, but you'd, you'd have to dig into the, uh, you know, the media around the album to understand that. And I think there is something of that. This doesn't really come across on record, but on social media, uh, Bridges is, uh, is hilarious and, uh, an excellent social commentator. And, um, you know, she makes, uh, little tweets that again, in, in such a small number of letters and words really capture something about such large groupings of people. Um, and just one that's jumping into my head from this year was when she just tweeted, uh, eat me out to help out, for example. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, but this is, this is the thing I think, um, you know, she, uh, for people who, who really, uh, and I can say this is certainly me. Um, I've probably expressed similar sentiments before for people who really do feel like we've never really fit in anywhere. Uh, not properly at least. Uh, I think Bridges has really developed into very quickly into one of our prophets, and uh, her whole writing is uh, is infused with that sense, a sort of imposter syndrome, I guess, and that's why the uh, extraterrestrial themes that are quite sort of an undercurrent on this album they're quite unspoken largely, uh, but are still they're very much there and are there in that album cover, um, you know, a very a very relevant. And uh, that's you know that's clearly the angle that she's writing from. Um, she, um, I think she she uses it in a. It's not so much in the way that David Bowie used it, um, which was glamorising outsiderdom uh, in a good way for sure. Uh, definitely a force for positivity, but more so in maybe the way it's been used by uh, the sort of grunge post grunge band Failure in the 90s and countless other examples not just in music but throughout pop culture um but i think um you know the bit the part of the album that really encapsulates that uh and really sum, sum, sums that up that whole that whole vibe that's definitely present throughout the record is uh, on chinese satellite which i haven't seen discussed much but it's probably my favorite track on the uh, on the record I love the way it has um, some little gleams of, um, of guitar melody that shine through as the track builds during the second verse. Uh, and some of these lyrics are incredible. I mean, it opens with, I've been running around in circles pretending to be myself. I think that's something that I can massively relate to, and I'm sure many people can. Um, these chorus lyrics, um, took a tour to see the stars, but they weren't out tonight, so I wished hard on a Chinese satellite. Uh, I, I love the way that that really shows how reality can intrude on dreams. Uh, I think that's basically what it's doing there. Uh, I want to believe, instead I look at the sky and I feel nothing. I love the way that bit is then twisted in the final lyric of the track, in the second chorus, which is my favourite lyric of the entire album, and I think sums up exactly what I've just been saying and why Bridges speaks to people. 
I want to believe that if I go outside, I'll see a tractor beam coming to take me to where I'm from. I want to go home. And that is the album cover in lyrical form right there. Uh, and I think since since her debut, between her debut, Stranger in the Alps, and this album, she has evolved hugely into um, you know a, a writer to, who is an absolute must-watch. And it might be that she never writes another album as good as this, or it might be that she goes on to write several. That's that's the whole part. That's the fun of being able to speculate on these things. But I dare say that this album is already one of my all-time favourites and is going to be one of the very best of this decade when it's all said and done. Wow. Okay. What more can we add to that? Um, <laughs> uh, that's going to be... This is going to make it tough for us to uh, make an overall top five, but I think I've done it. Before I go on to that, Clive, did, I know you've obviously had your say on Punisher, but did you have anything else you've thought of that you want to add? And no, other than to say that that was a very, uh, just a, a brilliant review there, Michael. Thank you. Some some great points and lots of things I hadn't thought about. And yeah, obviously I loved it as well because it's at number five. <laughs> I've already said my piece there. But um, yeah, it is a great album and you've just, You've looked into it with much greater depth than me. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. A lot of your insight was really interesting. And yeah, Thank you. Yeah, I think it just comes from what an album means to you, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, totally. So, yeah, but I was pleased to see it made you, made you top five. That was great. I'm going to do a rundown now of everybody's individual list, and then you can let me know if my... I've done a vaguely maths-based top five. Um, <laughs> Love it. So... Clive's List, at number five, Punisher by Phoebe Bridges. Number four, Sarayara by Rina Sarayara. Number three, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Fiona Apple. Number two, Melee by Dogleg. And number one, Microphones in 2020 by The Microphones. Michael's List, number five, Notes in a Conditional Form, The 1975. Number four, How I'm Feeling Now, Charlie XCX. Number three, Women in Music, Part 3, Heim. Uh, number two, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Fiona Apple. And number one, Punisher, Phoebe Bridges. And my list, number three, Notes in a Conditional Form, the 1975. Number two, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, Fiona Apple. And number one, A Women in Music Part 3, Heim. So, to carry on this very long list, uh, our overall top five. In at number five, uh, with one vote, but it was a high vote, is Microphones in 2020, the Microphones. Number four, Getting two top five uh, votes. Uh, Notes in a conditional form, the 1975. Number three, uh, getting two uh, top five votes again. Women in Music Park 3, Heim. Number two, getting a number five and a number one, Punisher, Phoebe Bridges. Uh, but I think the overall top one, based on the fact it was Clive's number three, Michael's number two, and my number two, is uh, Fetchable Cutters by Fiona Apple. Any disagreements? No, sounds good to me. I was exp- I thought overall fetch the bulk cutters should be at one. So yeah, that sounds great. Very well done. Great maths. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> like um, everything in the top five has more than one vote, except for microphones in 2020, but that had to make the top five because it's your number one. We couldn't not have it on there. That's the way we've usually done this, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And this is actually, we've, this is probably more crossover than we've ever had, I imagine, in a music yeah. list i think so yeah because yeah. uh well alex certainly had basically the same as me so In- interestingly um i tried doing it a top 10 but we only got to number eight so number six would have been melee by dogleg 
based on the fact that it was Clive's number two. Number seven would be by How I'm Feeling Now by Charlie XCX. Michael's number four, but it was also one that Clive had listened to. And number eight would have been Sariara uh, by Rita, Rita Sariara, uh, based on the fact that I think everybody's listened to it, more or less. I haven't listened to the album, but individual tracks. Yeah, all great albums. It's been a very good year. It has. Well, we're going to be back next time with a movies top five, which Ooh. is going to be a lot of streaming movies based on the year we've had. Um, that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, that should be that should be harder to do. It will it be for me. Be. I think there'll probably probably still be a lot of crossover. Um, I, mean, I mean, if we're, obviously we're using UK release dates, which makes it easier because I know that means there's going to be some elite films on my list. Yes. So, for example, uh, a lot of movies that um, were uh, at the last Oscars will be compatible for us, despite the fact they got 2019 releases outside of the UK. But we'll stick with the UK UK schedule. Um, I think I need to rewatch some this week, actually, which is exciting. Absolutely. Do you want me to? Uh, do you want me to sign off on hip hop and metal before you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you better make it brief though, because this is a colossal episode we've done so far. Uh, Give us be. your hip hop and metal in brief. Okay, yeah. So, best metal albums of the year. Um, an, an album I mentioned on the podcast, and that I remember you said you were going to listen to. Don't know if you ever did, Alex. Um, Probably not. Stare into death and be still by uh, Ulcerate. That's on my list. It, um, it is on. Um, it is on my Apple Music list, so it may get a listen. It was downloaded. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you're ever going to be in the mood to listen to that, to be honest. But uh, Yeah, but that was top 10 for me, uh, and top 20, um, not far behind it at all, would be, and I don't know the pronunciation, Mestarin Kinsey by Aranti Pazuzu. Uh, An absolute thrill ride of an album. Uh, Incredible band who are evolving uh, very interestingly, strength to strength. Um, And also another album worth mentioning, well, certainly the Deftones album was good, but that's a bit more alternative. So the other another one I'll mention is uh, "Forgotten Days" by Paul Bearer, um, an underrated metal album from this year. What the Paul Bearer? No, I believe he's <laughs> dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had uh, "Stare Into Death and Be Still" at number thirty-one, and uh, Kinsey, which I loved, um, and the Kinsey one, Mester and Kinsey at number seventeen. Really love that. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's great. That was my highest metal album, I think, on the list. Uh, yeah, they're the big two, I think, from this year, I would say, for people who are into metal or extreme metal. Um, hip-hop, so I mentioned it's a bit splintered. Uh, it's a bit of an unusual genre to assess these days, but the albums I'd mention would be just e- just uh, squeezing it at the top ten, actually, I think, at ten. Um, uh, Visions of Bodies Being Burned by Clipping, the experimental hip-hop act, although I don't think this is that experimental, actually. Uh, but it's a, it's a premium horrorcore album. Uh, excellent atmospherics, uh, lyrically brilliant, uh, in ter- well, in terms of flow and composition, um, even though the lyrics are mostly horror-themed, as I say. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's an exquisite record. Um, and then if we're going into the more the sort of pop, hip-hop style, trap-influenced stuff, then uh, Eternal Attack by Lil Uzi Vert. Um, a stunning technical... Uh, white knuckle ride of an album uh which really pushes the genre in uh to some evolutionary endpoints i think and um I, th- I did a lot of thinking when it came out right at the start of lockdown about the relationship 
um, between um, well the way viruses behave and capitalism. And I think this this is similar. It really reflects the movements and tendencies of capitalism in a musical and lyrical form. Um, and if that's uh, if that's too too far to go for a, a record by Lil Uzi Vert, then uh, well, you're not thinking about it as much as you should be, in my opinion. Um, but then also got to mention uh, an album that would be just right up there, just outside the top ten, uh, criminally overlooked, I think, because it's British. Big Conspiracy by Jay Huss, absolutely brilliant album, uh, excellent musicological values, brilliant production, uh, a triumph. Uh, a really underrated artist in Britain right now, and not too far behind it, the excellent debut album uh, by Coventry artist Parsaloo, uh, Send Them to Coventry, another brilliant British hip-hop record. So there were there was a great hip-hop out there. It's just become such a diverse genre, and it's just a little bit outside or just inside my top ten this year, that's all. And there you have it. In brief... The history in 2020 <laughs> of metal and hip hop oh, by yeah. the guru. <laughs> Indeed, I didn't have uh, absolutely less of a guru than Michael. Didn't have any of those on. I had Visions of Body being burned near towards the bottom of my list. Enjoyed it. The highest hip hop album on my list was uh, RTJ4 Run the Jewels album on number nine, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, it's um, a good album. Very good album. And later on, there's Purple Moonlight Pages by R.A.P. Ferreira and Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist's um, Alfredo, which I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed as well. They're high up on my list. They're both great albums as well. Uh, yeah, we could go on forever. The Almond Hammer album uh, was also excellent. But yeah, if you're going to listen to one of those albums, Clive, in Big Conspiracy, you'll enjoy it. Excellent. Add it to the list. Well... Um, it's a it's a colossal it's an epic episode here, uh, so I guess that makes it time for one final thing. Clive, hit it. Plug time at Stick Around Cast on the Twitter, stickaroundpodcast.com on the interwebs, slash Stick Around Podcast on the Facebooks, and I think the same on Instagram. Um, Follow us on Twitter. You can basically get... If everything we do, we post it on Twitter. So that's the best way to keep in touch with what's happening. If you go on the website, there's obviously all our episodes. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, whatever podcast app you're listening to at the minute. Um, on the website, besides that, there's also articles written by all of us, um, including my little challenge of listening to every year of figuring out my favorite album of every year which i also wrote the 2020 is the most recent one if you want to list, uh, read the 37 on there that is missing the 1975 album which i will add to it at some point when i can <laughs> look up the uh, energy um and yeah there's plenty of other stuff on there so that's one way to interact another way to interact so you can send us emails stick around podcast at gmail.com or on the website there's a contact button press on that fill out the lovely form it goes to us um loads of people filling out the form based on my articles and except that they put um in fact you might be listening don't know somebody asked obviously i mentioned before about this they were worried i was going to review the minecraft uh, soundtrack and <laughs> um, we've already addressed that somebody said why did i start in 1960 um just felt i needed to start somewhere Um i kind of wish i'd started 1959 because then i could have got a obviously that famous date miles davis album 
kind of from, blue kind of blue from that year but i'll you know i can go back there there's nothing to say i can't do that and i just figured 1960 seems to be where things start to get a bit more albumy whereas earlier it's a bit more songy shall we say and the album hadn't sort of fully i think it gets fully realized as a format in the 70s properly um across the board but even though there are absolutely excellent 60s albums that are very much albums but, yeah, I think um, I could. I think I could make like a top ten from the fifties. I think I'd struggle after that. Although there were obviously way more albums, mm. uh, but I think I think in the sixties you can you you know you can you can go way over. Yeah, so maybe I'll just do the fifties as like a decade. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't need to worry about it for the next four years until I actually finish the rest. Of it. <laughs> um, and I think that covers everything, doesn't it? Do jump in if I've missed something. I don't think you did miss anything. Um, I thought you've got that down to a T, Clive. Um, I'm going to check out your list now. I deliberately haven't read it yet because of this episode. I didn't want to spoil anything, but now I'll give it a listen. I'm sure it's excellent as usual. Um, I may I may do a write-up of my top ten films as well, but I will mm. only make that available after the next episode. Doesn't like spoilers, this guy. No, no spoilers. Um... Well, he's been Michael Johnson. I have. This lad's been Clive Fisher. Ahoy. Bye. And I've been Alex Wayne. Uh, Please come back next time for another uh, top five list of 2020. You sound uh, sound wearied, Alex. (laughs) Wearied? Yeah. Sounds like this is taken out of you. Probably, yeah. Possibly has, yeah. I think it's just life in general. It's just worn me down to a nub. I'm like one of those tiny pencils you get in schools. Get uh, get get Punisher on. I was going to say they're going to get a right time now. to listen to microphones. Yeah, and they really want. To, then you'll really lose the will to live. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you won't actually, because it didn't. It came around the other way for me. Sometimes you listen to something that's so depressing, it turns around the other way. So maybe that's what you need. It's a roll of the dice. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take a roll later. <laughs> you got nothing to lose. Yeah. Anyway, remember to stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe it's stick around